Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is brought to you by ROI Online. Most business leaders struggle with how to transition from traditional marketing into modern marketing. ROI Online has a team of experts that makes it easy. They help you make a plan and then do most of the work to set you up for success. ROI can guide you to success at ROIOnline.com. Today's guest is Colin Cummings. Colin is one of the co-owners of Six Car Pub and Brewery, a new downtown brew pub that is currently under construction but has plans to open this spring on Polk Street. He writes a monthly guest column for Amarillo Globe News that we've talked about before on the podcast. And in, in this column, Colin writes about Amarillo's history or the value of city parks or the evolution of Amarillo's community market. Um, he's both a realist about the city's challenges and an optimist about its future. And I always feel a little bit smarter after spending time with him. I think you'll enjoy this episode. Here's Colin Cummings. Okay, I'm here in the ROI studio with Colin Cummings. Colin, welcome to Hey Amarillo. Hey, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm really kind of shocked that I'm, I was invited. Well, uh, I'd like to keep the guest list as diverse as possible and throw in some wild cards, and you were in that category. Yes, good. <laughs> well, I, I know that uh, you're involved in a number of things that I want to talk about, but uh, like I do with all guests, I'd like to go back to the beginning and just ask you how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place. Well, I was born here um, and lived most of my life at this point. Um, I lived in the same house until I moved away to finish school. So I was a Ridgecrest, Crockett, Emerald High School um, alumnus and went to uh, Emerald College for three years. I was on that long track and did not get a degree there and went and finished my degree three years later at University of North Texas. So that took me out of Amarillo. That was the start of a seven-year stint outside of Amarillo. Um, spent three years about in Denton, got married, uh, graduated, moved, joined the Army, moved and moved and moved, and then moved back in 2008. So it's been just over nine years since we came back. What did you do in the Army? I was an engineer officer. So I was in an engineering unit. Um, an engineer is a misleading term when you're talking about the Army because the engineers build things and blow things up. Um, they don't, it's not like professional engineers in the real world. So I don't have an engineering background. Um, I was a first and second lieutenant, or a second and first lieutenant, and then a captain in the, with an engineering construction unit. What happened? What did you do once you came back to Amarillo? Well, I floundered. You know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a job lined up. Um, we had family here, so that's why we came back. I worked uh, at Roasters for over a year, about 14 months, and which I'd had a lot of co a coffee shop experience, so it was kind of a comfortable environment, but didn't pay anything. And then I went and worked for Natural Grocers for about half a year. And while I was there, um, we bought a house, and I applied for a job with Zachary, which is an engineering and construction company. Despite your lack of an actual engineering degree background. Yeah, well, it was a position for, I knew somebody who knew somebody, and it was a position for procurement, which is purchasing, which I knew what procurement meant. Like, I knew the dictionary definition, so I feel like that was my in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and I'd, I'd done, you know, I'd been involved with the supply and maintenance and whatnot in the army so that's kind of where i knew the procurement term and i interviewed well but it, it was like two months from the time i my second interview before they called and offered me a job so i was actually unemployed for a couple of months while we finished uh, renovating our house that we just bought and wondered where the money was going to come from 
So I worked for Zachary for seven years until November. And then uh, just this past November, just this past November. Yeah. And it was a, it was a fabulous job and I learned a ton. And then I went full time to get um, the brew pub open downtown. So uh, I want to talk about that transition from um, from your career at Zachary to you know kind of taking a, a much more entrepreneurial journey uh, with the brew pub. But um, but before we get to that point, tell me about having lived in a whole bunch of other places, having moved away from Amarillo, and then coming back here. You know, young family, kind of going from one job to another. What kept you here in the city during those years? That is a really good question. I'd say for the first, before I before I started working with Zachary, so for the first two or three years, that was a question we kind of asked ourselves almost on a daily basis, like why why don't we go back somewhere we really loved living? So we lived in Eugene, Oregon, for a summer, and it was probably one of my favorite places ever. Um, we loved Anchorage. Anchorage was fantastic. Um, you know, having family here, kind of the familiarity of it, plus for spiritual reasons, which always sound a little bit silly saying, you know, we felt called back here and could not put a finger on why that was probably me more than my wife. She was, she was gracious enough to stick it out with me cause she's not from Amarillo. But you know, after coming back, I, I sort of discovered it in a different way, I guess when you're when you're an adult, um, everything was very familiar to me, but I was discovering things, new things. So um, when I came back, I was really into cycling. So I went out to the 24 hours in the canyon ride a couple of times and the P3 started like uh, maybe the year after we moved back here. So I went on that and was just blown away by how cool it was and how much it was something I wanted. And I uh, started just to meet some really interesting people I did not know lived here. And I guess that was enough for me. I mean, I'm an extrovert, so I, I can make friends pretty easily. You uh, you sort of self-identify as a hippie, um, maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe casually. I mean, not in any f- official capacity. But uh, tell me about sort of having that countercultural mindset or outlook in a place that's not always known for that. Yeah, that was probably the most difficult thing about coming back, and the thing that really would have pushed us out was. an apparent lack of exposure to the kinds of lifestyles and ideas that we had seen, you know, and some of which are so quotidian at this point. I mean, like recycling is not a novel concept. I mean, we've been recycling in the United States on large scales for several decades. So it's not like (laughs) we've been doing it in Amarillo, you know, for certain periods. Right, right, right. So it's, and, and and things like, I mean, we compost all of our vegetable scraps like that. Some people just can't grasp that, you know, we garden and we eat out of it, you know. So I, to me, coming back to Amarillo, it was like, and I, I was, I was sort of headed down the hippie track. You know, I really wanted to farm sustainably and build a straw bell house and all of those things when we moved back here. And, and, um, we really have a, a pretty hospitable climate for a lot of the ideas that I embrace like that, um, alternative home construction and, you know, sustainable farming and water catchment. I mean, it's, it's almost a necessity here, but we don't approach it that way. So that that's still a challenge to me. Although I've been exposed to a lot of people who are into it. One of the things, that, like just for example, you know, I heard your interview with Mary Emini and, and the whole uh, Mariposa venture. You know, I, I was reading up on that maybe even before we moved back because I was just so interested in it and something I wanted to be a part of. Um, so knowing that there were people here like that um, who who were thinking in those terms and, and um, willing to embrace new ideas was, was encouraging. It's just a limited pool. 
what do you make of that limited pool? I mean, where does that hesitancy, I guess, to whether you're talking about water catchment, whether you're talking about composting or, or even gardening, I mean, why is that seen as something strange around here? You've done a lot of thinking about Amarillo, about Amarillo's past, Amarillo's yeah. future. You've you've been uh, more public than a lot of people in talking about that. So mm-hmm. I, I want to hear your opinion on it. It's really hard to put a finger on it because what I've what I've discovered, you know, as I've researched and read about and thought about all of these ideas, is these are not new ideas. You know, culturally they kind of seem like new ideas, but they're actually just really old, old ideas. They're old ways of living, you know, like canning your own food and taking care of yourself from the land. I mean, those are, I mean, that's as old as human civilization itself. So it's not, there's nothing novel about it, you know. It's just, it's countercultural, I guess, because the culture is so um, entrenched around here in a sort of opposite way. You know, kind of shorthand for it is the car culture, you know, we are, Amarillo is, is a car culture city. I mean, we are a product of post-war development and the kind of society that that created, you know, the kind of um, cookie cutter, out of the box, um, component built society um, that, that came after World War II. And we, we never, we never moved backwards again, I guess. And, and Maybe, maybe some of it has to do with the economy, you know, po- politics certainly play a role and who can ever, I mean, it's so hard to put a finger on like how politics and culture influence one another and how they lead to a society in a given region that just is the way it is and you can't seem to do much about it. I mean, we're, we're, we're just a more conservative example of the microcosm of Texas. Um, I don't know. I think conservatism has a lot to do with it and I don't, that's an answer that people would push back against, I think, you know, because I'm conservative in a lot of ways. And I think my ideas are conservative. I mean, they're, they're very traditional. They're rooted in tradition. They're rooted in this idea of conservation. And, but it's, it's become kind of liberal now. It's so bizarre. I don't know. You mentioned the car culture here. Um, you know, you rode your bike to the studio today uh, from your home. You don't live that far away, but I mean, there are not there's not a lot of bicycle traffic yeah, downtown. There's not. Um, obviously, that's a deliberate choice. Tell me about making that decision as opposed to just jumping in a car and driving. Well, I, I love to ride. I mean, and I like to commute. I don't like to, I've never been one to ride for exercise, so I'm not going to go ride on the service road, one, because I think it's dangerous, and two, because it's not fun to me. Um, I already have to work against the wind in town, but I work a little bit less because I'm not going as far. I can ride slowly, you know, I'm... And I've got wind breaks. Um, so I love the idea of commuting by bicycle. You see the city in such a different way. You know, you see your neighborhood and you experience it in such a different way. And um, it's, it's almost like an invitation to an experience that you would just otherwise ignore. Um, so the kinds of buildings that you'll ride past, the details that you'll see in your neighborhood, the kind of... Um, I mean, I'm really into plants too. So identifying uh, things that are planted around the city, I'm always a little surprised at at how, you know, you'll find like a secret little garden next to, uh, especially downtown, it's wild when you find just like a really great place, especially in summer, when you can see things flowering, I'm always encouraged that somebody took the time. So you don't notice those things in a car because you get in a car and your attitude is just A to B in as much um, comfort as possible. And, you know, it's exercise too. I like that part of it. It's, uh, there's probably, I probably have subconscious ideas about, you know, keeping myself healthy or looking cool to other people or, you know, I don't, they may be there. I don't know. 
Let's talk about, um, since you mentioned downtown, let's talk about the brew pub. Um, tell me about the process, you know, working for almost 10 years, um, you know, in a completely different career with a safety net and then deciding, okay, we're going to not just open a restaurant, which is always risky, but open a restaurant in downtown Amarillo, which is not something anybody has chosen to do in, in quite a while. Right. Um, walk me through all of the decision-making that went into that. Well, I wanted a brew pub that I had in my mind or that I had experienced in other places ever since I moved here. So when I moved here in late 08, I don't even think the Big Texan was brewing. And that's our that's the longest brewing brewery in Amarillo. They started right. in like 2012, maybe. So when I moved back to Amarillo from Anchorage, Anchorage we had... In Anchorage proper, we had probably five breweries, and then outside, you know, within an hour's driving distance, there were probably seven or eight. So. Population-wise, Anchorage is Anchorage, not... Anchorage, um, you know, the municipal region of Anchorage is just a little larger than our municipal region, or was then, in uh, 2008. It's not a lot bigger than Amarillo, yeah. maybe 25% larger. So I came back to Amarillo, and there were no breweries, and I was just kind of blown away. And this was... You know, most people don't follow the industry the way I do, but this was at the beginning of a real boom in um, the number of craft breweries across the country. And it's, it was really concentrated in the Pacific Northwest. So that was a part of my experience because I'd lived in Oregon and traveled through Oregon several times. And Anchorage had some of that culture to it. So just shocked to come here and there were no breweries. And then um, Big Texans started brewing and, you know, they... they there's there's was a scaled down version of what I had expected. Plus, I what I wanted was a place that was central, you know, a place that you would hang out at, kind of a neighborhood pub kind of thing. And I just kept waiting for somebody to open something. And in about 2013, I ran into one of my business partners, Grant James, through a homebrewing club, and and we were both batting around ideas for something and uh, got together, and it just kind of a marriage of of good ideas. And we started working on a business plan and realizing nobody else was going to do it, so we better. And that that was almost five years ago. So it's been a labor of love. Um, as far as downtown goes, I mean, I always wanted a downtown brew pub. Um, that'd been my experience in a lot of different places. And we were still, when we travel, we always hit up the brew pubs and breweries. And just as an example, like Springfield, Missouri has a really great brew pub downtown. And something like that just embodied what I wanted to do. So I knew I wanted a downtown. I knew there were efforts going on to to revitalize downtown. So, you know, it's not where it will be, but it's a far cry from where it was in 2012. So I knew it had potential and um, just felt like it was worth pursuing. And then some relationships fell in place um, that led to the location, and which was perfect. A new building is just unbelievable and purpose-built for what we're trying to do. I mean, it's, it, it is a risk. You know, it's always a risk with a restaurant, but the time is right. The location is right. I mean, we're on, we're on the ground floor for what's going to be, I think, a huge change downtown. Yeah, let's talk about that. So, um, obviously, you have a lot invested in the continued revitalization efforts downtown. But what what do you see Polk Street? What do you see the area being like, you know, in five years, in 10 years? What's your dream for it? My dream is that Polk Street, at a minimum, is a very vibrant, pedestrian-oriented kind of experience. I, I feel like it's kind of limited and bounded in some ways just because of the way the development has gone on around it. So if you go too far north, it gets a little bit too industrial. If you go too far south, it gets a lot more residential and there's already established things down there. But there's 
I mean, there's eight blocks of Polk Street that have a lot of potential to be vibrant and attractive and a place you can come hang out for half a day or a day and, you know, eat a meal or two. And so I'd love to see a lot of retail business on Polk. Uh, I'd like to see walkability better downtown generally so that people just kind of come down and, and hang out downtown. Yeah, in five years, in five years, I can see Polk being very walkable, heavily trafficked, um, lots of activity, uh, commercial activity, people starting to develop interest in adjacent areas of downtown of the central business district. In 10 years, I hope to see a lot more residential development down here and that feeds that commercial development and, and for people's idea of where downtown is to grow. Because on paper, like if you look at the city and the other agencies that deal with downtown a lot, the downtown area is, is kind of large. I mean, it stretches from Washington to the railroad tracks on the east and north and then all the way south, pretty much to I-40. But when people think of downtown, I think they think about... Um, you know, Taylor, Fillmore, Pearson, Buchanan, like this short stretch right in the middle that they're passing through. They don't really think about it as a whole neighborhood, you know, as a whole area that encompasses residences and and businesses and industry and all of that. So my dream for 10 years is for them, for it to be one big, one bigger, happier neighborhood. Let's talk a little bit about your marketing efforts related to uh, Six Car. Um, it's something that I've heard people talking about with uh, with the different packages that you offered uh, potential supporters. You know, whether it's beer for life or, or something like that. What kind of response have you gotten to those efforts? People love the idea, and there are some people who love it enough to pay for it. <laughs> and the really the value of like a beer for life package, for example. I mean, you're taking so much money from us. Like over the even if you only live the next five years. Um, you're taking a lot of money from us, not taking it. But, I mean, we're losing a lot on you um, if you take advantage of it. Um, so we've had a lot of good reactions. You know, it's been, we haven't done a fantastic job of marketing that. We're actually marketing it again over a limited period of time and, and give people an opportunity and kind of invite them in through video and imagery to see what we're doing in our space. I think having a concrete space that's actually almost there is going to be a better selling point uh, for a lot of people, you know, than the, just a logo and the idea that yeah, this is going to happen. Yeah, we promise we'll make beer someday. Yeah, maybe even having a brewery that we can take pictures yeah. of and have installed. You know, that'll be pretty encouraging too. I'd like to talk more generally about uh, Amarillo and its people. I I don't think I've told you this personally, although I've mentioned it to other people. Um, you know, you you sort of have a regular guest opinion column writing gig for yeah. the the newspaper once a month. Once a month. Um, it may have been about a year ago. You wrote uh, a piece about how Amarillo needs to do a better job of telling its own story. That the the voices of the naysayers or the complainers were often louder than those who were really interested in promoting the city. And I, I just remember seeing that and it resonated with me. And, and that was a lot of the thinking behind starting this podcast uh, was a desire to be one of those people, you mm-hmm. know, telling a story about Amarillo. Let's, where has that, that optimistic mindset for you personally, where has that come from? What's, what's the driving force behind trying to communicate that to people, trying to get people on board Right. You know, it came from just kind of getting fed up with my own complaining. Um, and, and, and deciding to open a brew pub was, is tied to that as well. Because at, at some point, I just stopped 
asking the question, why won't somebody do this and provide my own answer that, well, I'll just do it, you know, and, and find some good partners and we'll get it done. Which is sort of the Amarillo pioneer spirit anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's going to do it for us. So let's, let's just do it ourselves. Right. And, and you know, there's a, there's, there's sort of a common an almost common refrain that I, when people complain about Amarillo and that refrain seems to be, why can't we be like everybody else? And, you know, I lived in Denton, so I lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for a few years. And my image of Amarillo was that everybody would just be a whole lot happier if we could just be Dallas, you know? I'm like, why, why don't you move there? You know, and a lot of people do. But it's, it's so funny to, to overlook what you have for the sake of something you experience that everybody has, like the experience in Dallas. Like, if I hear one more person complain that Panera Bread hasn't opened a location in Amarillo yet, I think I'm going to flip my lid because... You know, and I and I, I have complaints about our. They just want soup and free Wi-Fi. That's all <laughs> the people want. And people freak out about Panera Bread when they go to Dallas. It just blows my mind. Even my family who lives in Denton. They're like, "Let's go to Panera Bread. We'll get some pastries." I would, and whereas I, I'm sitting here thinking, why doesn't somebody open a fantastic local bakery? You know, not not to knock too heavily on the people that have tried it, but when we moved here, Village Bakery was still open, and we loved going there. You know, it was just that Wolfland Wolfland Village is a great spot. I mean, it's just it evokes a lot of the old world, you know, with the big trees and the, the unique layout and stuff. And we liked Village Bakery. I wish it was still open, but yeah. So I just, I guess, I get sick of the complaining, and I got sick of complaining myself. So I try. I tried to, you know, I consciously make an effort to be upbeat about what Amarillo is. And, and the more the more people I've met and then, pro, you know, podcasts like yours where I'm introduced to people who have these great stories. I mean, it really it encourages me to maintain that optimistic view and to see positive things happening in spite of negativity like downtown. Um, you know, I've heard complaints about like this kind of boosterism in Amarillo, um, like you know, that sort of chamber of commerce perspective where you know, the city can do no wrong or I, I don't want to be that kind of optimist. Um, I'd rather embrace good ideas and specific um, movements and people who are who are doing positive things and and kind of amplify them or encourage a conversation about it to get into a little bit more specifics. Like I have friends who hate the idea of the city spending money on a baseball stadium and I have friends who are really behind it. And I, for one, am like, well, it's something. You know, at least we're trying. And then we got a double A team and, and I mean, that's a big deal, Yeah. you know? Uh, and, and I think I'm not a baseball fan, but I'm going to go watch my double A team play downtown. You know, it's going to be cool. So I, you know, I can get behind that. And instead of just sitting on the sidelines and throwing rocks at it, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get behind it and do my, and then do my part as well, just to make the city better. And why not? I'm, I'm at this point, I feel like I'm kind of stuck here. <laughs> That's what happens when you open a business. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, my wife initially, you know, she's gotten used to it now, but she was she was like, oh, when you get it open, we're never going to leave. But, <laughs> you know, take that with a grain of salt. Before I was writing books or doing local journalism or podcasting, I was in the marketing industry. And during that career in marketing, I learned a couple of different things. Number one, marketing is essential because it's the story you tell the world about your company. And number two, marketing is usually the last thing on your mind when you're starting a business or you're running a business. I mean, maybe you're, you're leading a company and you're thinking strategically, or maybe you're deeply involved in some sort of production. Whatever the case, you don't have time for the details of marketing, like social media or building an email list or keeping a website up to date, or in Colin's case, you know, trying to get people to purchase 
insider VIP packages for a brand new brew pub. That's why you need a company like ROI Online. This local group of marketing experts comes alongside your business to tell your story. So you get an entire team of people who are invested in building your brand, but you don't have to manage them. You don't have to babysit them. They do the heavy lifting and they let you focus on the bigger picture. The results speak for themselves. To learn more about how ROI Online can help your business, visit ROI Online or follow them on Instagram or Facebook. ROI Online, leading the modern marketing movement. Okay, we're back uh, with Colin Cummings. Colin, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions, and your job is to answer those questions in as much detail as possible, <laughs> as much honesty as possible, which, yeah. whichever you... Detail or honesty. Just choose one of those two. Um, so uh, let's let's start. And I have not asked this of other guests, but but you're a person who's just thought a lot about Amarillo as a place. Um, so do you have like a favorite person or a favorite story from Amarillo's past? I do know some people in stories. I'm not quite as steeped in the history of Amarillo as some, like Wes. It's one of the things I love about Wes is he's, Wes Reeves, he's like, I just love sitting and having coffee with him. And if you haven't listened to that episode, just you know, dig back through the archives. Yeah, really good one. Find it. Wes, is, Wes it gets my vote for one of the most interesting people in the city. So <laughs> big, big shout out there. He's, that's, that's a good acknowledgement. Um, you know, one of my, one of my favorite historical it's not exactly a story but a historical aspect of amarillo and one that we carried into six car um, pub and brewery is the streetcar system in amarillo and the the idea that we had one to me speaks to the kind of bustling city that we were you know compared to the in the kind of hub of the region I mean, there was so much business on Polk Street and beyond that we had a streetcar system to take people up and down and, and around downtown and in fact that it's Shortly before it closed, it went all the way down to the Glenwood neighborhood, which is over off of like 26. Wow, I didn't um, know it went that far. Yeah. And I mean, I think they started to run out of money and demand and everything around that time. But because you think of cities like, I mean, just big, old, important cities like San Francisco and New Orleans with their streetcar systems. And just, if we still had the tracks or something, I mean, it would just be amazing. So, you know, our, our name, Six Car, pays homage to that because when, when it ran at full tilt, there were six cars on the line. And I just love seeing the pictures of the streetcars, and there aren't really that many that you can find. But for about 20 years, we had a streetcar system and a real down Polk Street going gangbusters. Yeah. Apart from the uh, the restaurant uh, that you're starting, the, the ones that you're connected to, what's your favorite local place to eat? Well, there are a lot of restaurants I haven't tried that I should and would like to. I'm going to throw a few out there. Sorry, I will I take more than one okay. answer. That's acceptable. So our go-to, I have five kids, so our go-to if it's not YCSF, is Blue Sky. We love Blue Sky. I love sitting on the patio there. You know, they've got trees. And I'm talking about Blue Sky, the OG Blue Sky on Western and okay. I-40. Um, in fact, my brother-in-law, like every time we go there, I'll take a picture and send him a text and tell him we're at Blue Sky because they live in uh, south of Denton and he loves Blue Sky and stops anytime he comes through. I, I know people from the Wichita Falls area that will come to Amarillo 
and schedule in extra time just so they can eat <laughs> at Blue Sky. That's hilarious because he lived in Wichita Falls and he would do it. It must he have w- like a really big reputation. Yeah, right. People are walking around talking about it. Wichita yeah. Falls, go figure. Um, I also like Fire Slice. That's kind of our one of our other go tos. Fire Slice Pizza. It is such an out of the way little spot. It's amazing to me that they have made it as long as they have because it's just such a weird. You have spot. to know it's there. You're yeah. not going to drive past it. <laughs> in fact, they call themselves a back alley pizzeria. Yeah. So. I I just I think that's cool and it's uh I've known Brad Davis for a while who's the owner of that and we like going there the pizza's great and you know it it almost always comes down to a place that has a beer I want to drink so that's really limited some of our excursions <laughs> but those are those are kind of two standbys what does this area have too much of so I've heard you ask this question a lot and I've been thinking about it. I've literally asked it of every guest. Yes. To this and it's point. a it is a very good question. I was thinking about this and one thing that came to mind that I think is worth discussing is too much offense. I'll unpack that a little bit. And, and this really came to mind um, reading about the school board meeting and agenda item to rename Robert E. Lee Elementary School. And the kinds of, you know, I try not to read the comments, especially to local media posts on Facebook. Never do that. It's a yeah. black hole. You know? It, it's a pit of despair. And I make this recommendation to people all the time, don't read the comments, and I do it anyway. Um, but the kind of vitriolic comments about that whole process, it's funny because a lot of these, it's almost not even fair to to rate these as conservative opinions, but, you know, this opinion about don't change history and you bunch of liberal snowflakes, which is hilarious in Amarillo to the school board. Oh my gosh. There are no liberal snowflakes on the school board. No, <laughs> But that idea that you are a snowflake and you can't handle something that's offensive to you, like naming an elementary school in a, in a minority neighborhood after general robert e lee in the 1950s they're taking so much offense to it you know these people who are making these comments are taking so much offense to the idea that you would change the name that you would change something and i think i think just about all of us have a hard time recognizing when we take offense to something you know we we just react when we take offense to something and we feel so justified in our offense and in our position and i I just think that as people as as groups you know as cultures it just holds us back to to keep taking offense to to new ideas or to changing um, cultural norms or that offense in in a situation like that is unique i think to social media you know mm-hmm. if, if you were to have mentioned it in a gathering of friends you wouldn't have people get so immediately vocally angry True. at you in a social setting but when you begin to type a response, that anger comes through so quickly and so transparently that I, I almost want to require people to like read aloud you know, their Facebook comments right. to a friend and say, how does this sound? <laughs> does this sound like me? Because it never sounds like any of no, us. No, no. That's so true. And, and maybe a part of that is, is taking social media as some sort of accurate portrayal of other people you know and and i've known people who i really i had to sort of ignore their communication in online settings because it was it was clouding my perception of who the person actually was and the person that i knew who i who i genuinely liked in in real life settings you know so we probably take it way too seriously the kinds of things that people will say in a semi-anonymous kind of way 
I'm sure I take it too seriously. But I think if we took less offense at a lot of things, we would make a lot more progress. What does this area not have enough of? Other than brew pubs, which <laughs> yeah, is being that's fixed. <laughs> we're, in the, we're on the road to fixing that. Not enough uh, vision, I think, is a good one. Um, like, big picture, I wish we had a better vision for what we want to be as a city. I mean, do we want to continually grow at the edges and not really think about the environment, the climate we live in? Um, do we always want to build the same way? Do we not want a, a city government that's going to be proactive enough to protect our interests, you know, whether that's water or whether that's uh, land use or green space or parks, you know. I just wish we had a bigger vision, you know, smaller scale, like city planning. I don't know. It's just something that I really care about that I think is overlooked as a really important part of life. I feel like we have some visionary leaders now uh, on the city council because I know a few of them. And I've seen some of the choices they're making and the conversations they're having. So we just need more of that. And not just in elected positions. I mean, we need it kind of everywhere. When was the last time you wore cowboy boots? Oh, man. Not conducive for bicycling all over no. the city. <laughs> I'm, I got a pair of cowboy boots that belonged to my wife's granddad like i think maybe shortly after we were married and i did wear them a few times they actually fit and they were kind of comfortable but that has never been my style i can't pull it off I, i'm so self-conscious in cowboy boots it's probably been 13 or 14 years you just feel like a big big faker if you're wearing them oh yeah i don't i don't even own jeans anymore so can you wear cowboy boots with chinos i guess you can but I'm, you can try it go for it <laughs> i'd have to go get the cowboy boots first and that's a financial outlay i don't want to commit to what season in amarillo is your favorite season oh fall hands down i mean this is one of the best places in the country for fall you know and which sounds kind of funny because i know a lot of people think of like we tree, don't have the trees like yeah like turning out. colors and leaves and stuff like that and and um when i lived in alaska it's one of the things I missed the most when I lived away. Like when we lived in Anchorage, fall was like three weeks long. I mean, <laughs> you would see the leaves would the leaves turn like in a very short period of time and fell, and then the snow started coming down the mountainside. So we really missed fall. And here it's just like you know you'll have those crisp nights and some days where it's it's still like a reasonable temperature, but the sunshine is just brilliant and golden, and like all the colors are right, and the poet in you just comes out and starts spouting off everything you wish you'd said the rest of the year. I just love fall. Fall's the best. I love the transition. When uh, when you describe Amarillo to outsiders, whether it's people, you you know, old army buddies, or, you know, when you're traveling around, what do you tell them about Amarillo? How do you describe it? Um, usually, it's kind of a hackneyed idea, but it's like a big, small town, you know. I'll give you an example. When I was in college, I was taking intensive French, so you get like two semesters in one semester. And I would go to these, um, we would meet at a coffee shop and we would try to speak just in French to kind of hone our skill. And the husband of my French instructor had lived in Amarillo. So we started talking and come to find out he had he knew my, my older cousin. And those are just the kind of experiences you have just about any time you run into somebody who knows somebody in Amarillo or has lived in Amarillo. You're going to find a common connection and it's so... It's so bizarre, especially, you know, we're approaching a population of a couple hundred thousand and it's, it's close to 250,000 when you get into the metropolitan 
statistical area, but it still has that kind of small town experience, which is one of the things I love about it. You know, I love the kind of connections that um, people have to people uh, and making new friends that way. And I think that's just the best way to describe it because because it's also a positive experience, you know. I don't like to be negative about Amarillo outside of Amarillo. What's the most underrated aspect of Amarillo? Man, I might have a couple of answers to that. Um, my first answer is it's flatness. If you are a cyclist and you want to commute, this is a fantastic place to do it because it's flat. And it's on a grid. So it's really easy to get around town. I mean, I can work my way around the major arterial roads and stay safe, which I've been hit twice on my bike riding, commuting in town. So that's important. You know, I want to be able to... To have been hit? or <laughs> No, to be able to go through a residential neighborhood. With, yeah, to avoid the, the high-speed traffic and people who aren't used to seeing cyclists. It's just an easy city to commute around, which I just probably didn't do a great job of selling it when I told everybody I've been hit twice. But um, the other thing is the trees. You know, if you go to certain neighborhoods or get, get, if you get up high and get a good view across the city, there's an amazing number of trees in the city. And I, I don't know, you know, if that was, I feel like planting a tree in Amarillo is one of the most optimistic actions you can make as a resident here, you know, which is why I really have developed a ton of respect for the wares and the, um, the Ware family with Amarillo National Bank. I mean, they plant trees like mad at all of their properties and they own a lot of property. And that's a big investment in, in the future of the city because when you walk in a neighborhood, like I grew up in Olson Park, and when I walk down um, one of those streets is just lined with really tall um, elms or sycamores, it's just, I mean, you, you're so thankful that 40 years ago somebody planted those, you know, and I'm thankful in my, I live in a 100-year-old house and I'm so thankful that there are trees in my neighborhood and there's just an amazing number of trees, you know. We went out to uh, Thompson Park um, this past weekend and there are fantastic Some trees amazing out Amazing trees out yeah. there. Yeah, and that's, you know, and that's one of the oldest parks in the city, so... There was that kind of optimism has always existed, even though you are working against so many odds when you mm -hmm. plant a tree here, you know. That's that's the end of my eight straight questions. Uh, Colin, I like to end by just asking my guests to endorse something locally, to say, here's something that I think listeners should experience or go see or know about. So what would you endorse? You know, I want to endorse, I'm such a cheater, I want to endorse like two or three things, but I really want to endorse our parks. And I'll say not because they're the best parks, because I think they could be so much more um, if we had the vision to make some just truly amazing parks. But for example, I don't live too far from Elwood Park, and it is a great park. I mean, it has some great trees, lots of open space, fantastic place to throw the Frisbee. I mean, take your dog. Thompson Park is awesome. I don't go there nearly enough. I mean... We've, I've got five kids, so we go to parks all the time. West Hills Park is one of our favorite. Um, so one of the few parks that's not just entirely flat in Amarillo. Yeah, West yeah. Hills West Hills Park, Park has, a lot of, yeah, has a lot of interest. Um, so our city parks are just, they're worth using. You know, we all pay for them. It's a more liberal side of me, just loves those um, communal places and those communal ideas. And a park is just a great example of a social compact that we've made with one another to give ourselves some green space inside the city limits. I love Memorial Park, the Rose Garden there, which could be so much better maintained and even enhanced, but it is still just a great thing that somebody did for, for their city at one point in time. So I really want to encourage people to get out and enjoy the parks, you know, even if, 
even if you don't have like a reason to go throw a frisbee in the car you know better yet take your bike and experience the park you know in a more pedestrian fashion all right colin cummings thank you for being on the show i appreciate it my pleasure thank you so much for inviting me i feel like i'm I feel like I'm standing next to giants. Well, you're, you're, we should note that you're sitting. Um, both of us are sitting, and so any giants in this room are not easily present. So. Thanks, Colin. Thanks. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Colin Cummings for being my guest today. Thank you also to ROI Online for sponsoring this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. If, uh, if you're new to the show, welcome. Uh, I hope you'll listen every week. You can find more about Hey Amarillo at heyamarillo.com, at Hey Amarillo on Twitter or Facebook. We're available everywhere you listen to podcasts. So if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and subscribe, leave a review, do whatever you'd like to do on your favorite podcast app. My name is Jason Boyette. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.